Hi everybody. Yes, it's Benjamin. Uh, I'm actually recording this about two or three hours after I recorded my last podcast, but you know what? I just love the sound of my own voice. You know, if you do an hour-long podcast and you listen to yourself speak, it's like, man, the problem is that I say, you know, a lot. I got a few arms and stuff, so maybe that'll be ironed out and I'll speak very fluidly as time goes on because this podcasting, it's going to be huge. It's going to be, it's, it might rival Joe Rogan, you know. Because let's face it, Joe's probably taken a few hits to the head. You know, things usually devolve down to, um, well, you know, people love to joke about the DMT thing and, uh, and you know, chimps being out, he's marveling at chimps' strength and stuff. Um, what I don't like is when he gets triggered about, uh, you know, political correctness, PC police and things like that. It's like, okay, yeah, it's annoying, but there's bigger problems, bro. There are really bigger problems. Like, how about companies just trashing the environment, you know? Oh, here I am saying, you know. Damn it. Anyway, um, but honestly, Joe Rogan, honestly, if I ever got on the Joe Rogan podcast, I know that I've made it. Because he, the, the listenership is huge. And also, Joe Rogan, like, he's a king. Nah. All right, I, I've got to stop saying you know. Every time I say you know, I'm going to... What's a punishment, man? You know, I'm tempted to say it again. Anyway, Joe Rogan, absolute king, you know... Anyway, I'll just get on to the basketball stuff because that's the real objective of this is that I'm bored as hell in my hotel room and I just feel like I've got to get these thoughts out there. What if I get mugged and killed? No. Okay, I'll say you... No, sometimes like abstinence is not the right idea, right? So just the government saying, oh, you, no drugs allowed. People are still going to do it, man, but it's going to be dangerous as hell because it's going to be black market shit, right? So... Let us take drugs. And, you know, I'll let myself say, you know. Yeah, fuck it. That can be my catchphrase. You can all embrace, you know. Anyway. I think... I'll give you just a blueprint of what I think every NBA team should do. And I've tweeted about this. You can look it up. It's uh, Skinner Sports Analysis, I believe, on Twitter. It's kind of sketchy because I've got two Twitter handles. One of them, I've you know worked on it for about seven years and it's my personal one. It's, um, it's at B Skin Reports, with a double N, and it's got about 170 followers. But most of them, it's related to Aussie politics. Most of my followers are from my Australian politics posts, and so I just thought, you know, they don't really want to hear my ramblings about sport. Probably, it's like a different different audience. But you know, now I'm I'm using Skinner Sports Analysis, Twitter handle uh, a Twitter account and I'm posting about Australian politics on that so I think honestly I've just got to be like well you know I'll have an audience from a multitude of sources but or, or like you know from different backgrounds and different interests but you know I am now getting into the martial arts 
stuff that Joe Rogan talks about because he's passionate about it. But I, that means I can also listen to a, a, I don't know, any expert, any expert, you know, the name just David Sinclair, the Aussie um, aging man. I can listen to that as well, as well as hearing like fight analysis and stuff with Joe. So yeah, maybe I think I will go back to my old handle, uh, B Skin Reports, my old account, and uh, try and follow some guys that I've found on uh, the Skinner Sports Analysis and give Skinner Sports Analysis away because frankly, five followers is less than 170, and that shit matters, man. That is so important. But anyway. What I think every NFL team should, every NBA team, honestly, I know more about the NBA. I know pretty much every player in the league. I know their abilities. Sometimes, you know, a guy will come in, such as Isaiah Taylor, who I think was signed to a two-way contract with the Toronto Raptors, and I'm not really familiar with his game, and he might be an absolute stud, but he might just be a end-of-the-bench guy probably should watch tape on him but otherwise I think I've got a grasp on every single player coming into the league Matt Thomas was signed from a European team I think 6'4 dude who's probably a little bit like JJ Redick and the Raptors are bringing him in I don't think he's going to move the needle much unfortunately poor Matt Thomas you know what makes a dynamic player like Steph Curry so dynamic is that he will shoot a three from you know thirty three feet, knock it on your head, off off the dribble at any angle. But he knows what to do once he's past the defender, you know, because he's such a threat with a long ball. People have to press up on him, and he can get past much easier. That's why every player, even if you're a big, you've got to learn to shoot, man. You've just got to learn to shoot. Thing life is just so much easier. And if we're talking about positionless basketball, like, look at Brooke Lopez, man. Brooke Lopez was, like, first seven years as a low post force, and I don't think he took any threes. Now he's taken, like, ten a game, bombing away, and he is still so underrated. I think he's getting paid, like, five or ten mil a year to sign a new deal. I'd be throwing, like, 25 mil at this dude. I mean, he's going to out-rebound you. He's going to be a at least a you know a defensive anchor, right? You probably don't want him switching onto small guards, but just don't switch, all right? Fight over those damn screens. You know, Lopez can stuff you at the rim. He's a seven-footer, for goodness sake. And he's stretching the floor, but he can, you know, attack the basket still. He's got that low post game. And, the, you know, the Bucks are giving Chris Middleton, like, 35 mil a year or something. The dude's worth half that. And they're paying Brook Lopez bugger all. Right. Let Malcolm Brogdon go, who's a younger player than Chris Middleton. They, I think the pace is probably overpaid a little bit for Brogdon, but Brogdon will probably take a slight pay cut to stay at the Bucks. You know, familiar ground. I think the paces in the Bucks actually kind of have a similar trajectory. Uh, the Bucks have got Giannis, obviously, which could be a bit tenuous because you know a Middleton that Middleton contract is horrendous. Right. Um, the Pacers, however, you know, they've got Miles Turner, who actually, come to think of it, is probably up there with Carl Anthony Towns, Jokic, and Stephen Adams as the top center in the league. 
great defensively, you can space the floor, right? Which, honestly, my whole theory about basketball and basically just put talent out on the floor and they'll figure it out, it's kind of, that's being thrown into question a bit. I should really go watch the tape of Team USA versus all these other teams because on paper, Team USA should be dad-dicking all the other teams. But they came seventh in the FIBA World Cup. Granted, there are a lot of NBA players. Even Turkey had a lot of NBA players. Uh, from memory, you know, Furkan Korkmaz. Uh, who else? A bunch of other guys. Obviously, Serbia's got Jokic. Spain has got a bunch of NBA guys. So the USA should have been wary. But if you've got Harrison Barnes, Miles Turner, Donovan Mitchell is extremely overrated. You know, he had a great rookie year and he looked like he was going to be fire, but he's a high-volume shooter who might not be the... No, he can, he can be a playmaker. I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, I think he can get caught with the ball often, uh, maybe gets into hero ball mode a little bit, and maybe the Jazz need that, man, because they don't have too many offensive creators. Joe Ingles can run a pick-and-roll. And you can certainly space the floor. Uh, Rudy Gobert, maybe throw it down to him every now and then in the post. Give him like three or four touches in the post. He can hit a hook shot over anyone. Uh, Dante Exum needs to stop getting hurt. They brought in Mike Conley, but frankly, I think Grayson Allen and Kyle Korver together are bet better than, than Conley is by himself. And then throw in, what was it, a pick and Jay Crowder. Memphis lost, Memphis won that trade. And Conley's contract is absurd. He's on like $33 million a year. He's probably worth half that, you know. So Memphis is probably going to miss the playoffs. Sorry, Memphis fans. It's just, a, it's just a fact. It's a pure fact. They're not a contender. You know, you can't be trotting out... Who have they got at the four now? They've just got they've got sort of role players coming off the bench. Like, if the Toronto Raptors championship is any evidence, it provides evidence that you need to have impact players coming off the bench as well as having studs in the starting lineup. If you've got Serge Ibaka and Norman Powell coming off the bench, you're going to have a good chance. And that they were playing without OG Ananobi. Like that's another huge factor. OG can defend pretty much every position. He can shoot. He's a bit like Nassie Little in that in that regard. So, yeah, I don't know who the Jazz have got coming off the bench. Dante Exum. Uh, they got some. They drafted pretty well, actually. You, you got a. You got Justin Wright Foreman. Like this dude, I would have picked him top fifteen in the draft because he's he's like that six foot one point guard who can catch a crazy lob. Uh, and knock a three in your face and run an offense pretty well. So I think he's he was a very underrated pickup. They got Tony Bradley in their farm system. You know, they were a pretty good, pretty strong summer league team. In fact, they got it. No, Grizzlies won, didn't they? Yeah. But... Anyway, what was I talking about? 
Yeah, so every NBA team needs to follow the follow the following formula. Pick up underrated players, such as Scalabissier, who I've spoken about in the last podcast. Chris Paul is underrated. I'm thinking Jalen Brown could be available. You know, for the right... Honestly, if I'm the Knicks, I'm trading Mitchell Robinson and Alonzo Trier for Jalen Brown. Danny Ainge might bite on that. I mean, they've needed a rim protector at centre for a while now. Like Al Horford, he's got good positioning and stuff, but he's not going to be a rise up and like swat you into the stands as a help defender type like Mitchell Robinson can be. Mitchell Robinson is a freak athlete at his size. I'm not sure he does anything offensively other than catching lobs. Like DeAndre Jordan is kind of the same, but he can he can catch it down low and body up and then finish over you. But Mitchell Robinson is very leaf. I'm not sure he has the strength to bump you off to get spaced for even a hook shot despite his size and athleticism. And Mitchell Robinson might be a little bit foul prone. So with Mitchell Robinson's stock so high, I think the Knicks have to capitalize on that and trade him for a stud, a potential stud in Jalen Brown. Like the dude, you know, I'm a huge, obviously a huge fan of these six, seven, six, eight guys who can defend uh, most positions. And Jalen is shoot, showing a much improving jumper. He's got, he's kind of got like some Michael Jordan to him, which is a huge praise. But you know, he'll dunk on you, and he's got a pretty solid mid-range game. <sighs> I'd trade Mitch Robinson Alonzo Trier. Alonzo Trier is a pretty good scorer off the bounce. I'm not sure he's going to lock you down defensively or make that many play- no, make plays off the ball, but honestly, I'm not convinced that he's going to be a centerpiece moving forward for the New York Knicks, and the New York Knicks are screwed. I mean, they got Julius Randle and Bobby Portis. Like, those are solid guys. But if your best player is Bobby Portis, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble, man. Frank Tillikeen is your second best player. You're in trouble. They might... They're probably going to win more games than the Charlotte Hornets, but uh, not by much. Not by much. So, you know, the Knicks, they've got to go after Jalen Brown, right? Kyle Kuzin is probably untouchable, but he's a stud. Stephen Adams is probably untouchable because I think you know, they might make a title run with the roster that they've got. Davis Bertans being thrown around, but that dude is a lights-out shooter and he runs the floor hard and he'll make plays defensively. Um, he'll make the right pass. He's extremely underrated. And the Spurs, like... I think a lot of the Spurs' success is just riding the coattails of Tim Duncan, Manu, and Tony Parker. You know, they they actually drafted really well, I think. So, I can't be saying that, but they drafted Chemezi Matu the year before. I mean, that dude hasn't done much, has he? And he didn't do all that much at USC either. So, Chemezi. <sighs> Man, this is a lot of verbal diarrhea. And if an NBA team wants a to 
get an a, a player that is completely off the radar, but if you bring him one workout, you'll be convinced that he's a decent player. Well, one is Melo. Melo deserves a spot, man. If Melo had a... If the Rockets had a kept Melo, who I believe was on a cheap deal because the Thunder straight up waived him, copped his contract for the year, they could have beaten the Warriors. Like, Melo can still be an elite catch-and-shoot player. I still think he can shift his feet, and he's another guy who's probably been mislabeled. Like, he's, he can't play the four. Like, he, can, he, he I don't know if he's even got the biggest wingspan, so he can't defend an Anthony Davis, you know, one of the elite power forwards in the league. But he does have pretty good foot speed, I think. He can defend a James Harden. So if you just have him out in the wing and, you know, he can come in and crash the offensive rebounds and grab defensive rebounds and still make the right pass. Like, that dude is, is still a weapon. It's a bizarre career trajectory, man. Um, but another guy... Okay, so two years ago, we've got Brandon McCoy, the huge Hassan Whiteside type player out of UNLV who went undrafted. I think he was on the Bucks for a little while on a two on a while on a two day contract. Honestly that the dude needs to work on his left hand, but he can still finish over you with his right, you know, even on the left hand side of the rim, which is a big factor for me. Like if I see a dude finishing with his opposite hand, you know that he's working in the gym. Right? Brandon McCoy, I think he can knock down free throws okay. But you know, he, he he's going to give you a double double and maybe like two and a half blocks a game if you give him like thirty, you give him enough minutes a game, right? And centers are hugely undervalued. Like Brook again, look at Brook Lopez's impact. They're just criminally underrated. Like look, just look at the contracts. Maybe it's a reaction against like the Timothy Movskov and Bismack Biombo overspending for a couple of years ago but yeah I'd, I'd be dropping big time money on on these on these centers because you can't teach height and you know, a huge part of NBA offenses are finishing at the rim and if you've got to get a shot over a you know, guy with almost a 10 foot standing reach like that's going to be tough especially the guy who can actually you know, keep up with you to some extent and get in the right position not to mention the offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding that, that offers. Like, you know, all these analytics guys talking about spacing and stuff, like, that's great and all. But how about if you just, you know, you throw up a shot and then you get the offensive rebound? Like, can we get a statistic on the value of that? Like, that's good. Like, I will never, ever forget, and I will always bring it up, when the Thunder trotted out, they had a... A three-big rotation of Ennis Cantor, Stephen Adams, and Serge Ibaka, and they took the Warriors to seven games. Like these are this is the prime Warriors before Kevin Durant, and it took Clay Thompson knocking down threes from almost half court in Game Six. Like he had forty-one points or something, went supernova. It took Clay Thompson being an absolute boss for the Warriors to get through that game because the Thunder just punished the undersized Warriors on the boards. Like Draymond Green, he can defend fours. He's not a five. Are you kidding me? 
no matter what the statistics say, man, like, I don't think that you can have Draymond Green defending a five, and he was being absolutely punished by Ennis Cantor and Stephen Adams on the boards. So, I don't know why the league didn't just jump on that. Like, you know, zig while others zag. You've got the Warriors pioneering this small ball four stuff. Why not just punish that by just out-rebounding them in response? And this comes back to the positionless basketball. Like, Ennis Cantor is not a center. I don't think he's got the wingspan to defend a guy like Stephen Adams at the rim which I'll keep harping on about. I'm probably sounding like a broken record. But Ennis Cantor can move his feet. Like, if you watch, like, there was this guy, and this is what we want, want, to, want to see more of on YouTube. Just guys breaking down the film. Ennis Cantor can move his feet. He can keep up with guys. I think he can play small forward in the NBA. He probably cops a bad rep because he didn't defend all that well on pick and rolls and stuff in the playoff series, and Billy Donovan literally mouthed. We can't play him or something on the sidelines. Like, that'll hurt a player's confidence a bit, won't it? Like, just keep that to yourself. You think Bill Belichick's going to say that out on the sideline, huh? Or Greg Popovich? Be smarter than that, vampire man. Yeah, you got Brandon McCoy, you got Shaq Morris. This guy's a little bit like. Paul Millsap, I think he's out of Wichita State, and Wichita State's pumping out some de- pretty decent NBA players. Right? Fred Van Vliet's obviously a champion. Ron Baker was okay. Man, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks give guys a shot, don't they? Like some pretty obscure guys. Like remember when they signed J.R. Smith's younger brother? Like was he even on anyone's NBA radar? And then he has like legit NBA time. And but they also let these really great story underdog stories go. Like what happened to Landry Fields? He was a pretty good three and D player, right? Obviously they let Jeremy Lin go. I mean Daryl Morey threw that whack like poison pill. Was it a poison pill contract? I love how that was a thing and it's not really anymore. Like the Tyler Johnson deal, where it's like ten million dollars the first two, or five million dollars the first two years, and then twenty mil the two years after that. I think that's what similar to what Jeremy Lin got. I think the Knicks like uh, and you know Prime Jalen, he 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 could get to the rack with ease. He could knock a shot down on your head, and could defend okay. You know and pass pretty good. Jalen's probably worth he was in his prime. He's pro- he might he's probably worth at least you know almost twenty mil a year, right? I think the Knicks are just. I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? What the fuck? Are they just going to bank on them being a marquee free agent destination every year? It just ain't right. I mean, look at Christopher Porzingis. Did he demand a trade? Like, shit is going bad if your players are demanding a trade. <sighs> yeah, Shaq Morris. He can defend a five probably with his wingspan. He's only like 6'9"-ish, but... And he can... He can pick and pop. He can score in the post. He's got those long arms to clog up passing lanes. And there's also a guy named Jerry Foster, who's got some. Who can you compare to? Like 
you're looking at a 6'6 guy with long arms who's probably got a 40-inch vert. He, I think he had an ACL injury, but, you know, players come back from that or pretty much 100%. Maybe not. Yeah, D-Rose isn't doing, like, the fucking two, two-legged hammer dunks like he did before all these leg injuries, but he's still bloody athletic and can finish at the rim. Uh, but, yeah, Jerry Foster, and he can knock down corner threes. I honestly thought he should have been a top 10 pick, and he's undrafted. No, I don't think he, he wasn't on a summer league roster. Trust me, I was at the summer league, man. And why the fuck is it in Vegas? Why is anything in Vegas? Why is Vegas a thing? Like, just let gambling be everywhere so that we don't have to go to this freaking 40 centigrade degree place. Man. Make gambling legal everywhere. Make everything legal. Fuck it. Make everything legal. It's a bit of a huge statement, isn't it? Or maybe just a case-by-case basis. Like, I'm no expert on the law, but... Hmm. Some deep stuff. Maybe I've been watching too much of The Godfather. Well, it's a like for a like in those cases, isn't it? You can imagine you'd be pretty pissed if your brother, your oldest brother, was gunned down, right? If if you're enjoying yourself in Sicily, got a beautiful new bride, she gets blown the fuck up. That's pretty annoying. I would retaliate. What would I do if that happened to me, man? What would I do? I mean, I don't think I would want to see the offender on the ground dead because I'd be like, shit, I could go to jail for this. But you'd probably want to see them pretty fucked up. Let's face it. You know, like bloody nose, at least. But anyway, yeah, Jerry Foster. Like, I just, I just hate the thought that these, these impact players who deserve a, a shot and they're playing nowhere. Like, it's just a waste, man. It's just a waste. As for what NFL teams should do, I mean, if Jalen Ramsey is one of the best corners in the league, you've got to trade for him, bro. Uh, there's a whole range of undrafted guys that I would get, but I'm not going to go into too much detail about that. I'm just riffing. I'm just absolutely riffing. But basically, this is just a summary of what I think every NBA team should do. Pick up these undervalued guys. The Raptors might not even value OG Ananobi too much, so they might be able to get him get him with like a pretty attractive trade deal because I think the Raptors acknowledge that they're going to have to go into a transition period. You know, you've got Marcus Gasol, Kyle Lowry, and Serge Ibaka now in their 30s, and they're on big dollars. I'd be trading all three, frankly. Um, I just think... So let's say, so Kyle Lowry's on $12 million. Kyle Lowry's on $33 million a year for one more year left on his contract. I think he's worth around $12 million a year. This is just based on what he can do. He's a pretty good rebounder for you know, his, his position. He can knock down threes. 
albeit not with the most consistency. Right? He can finish inside a little bit with like his, you know good body control and these floaters, but he's not going to blow. He's not going to absolutely blow by you. He's not going to absolutely break your ankles. Like if you can, like there's him and Chris Paul. There's no contest, right? Um, Chris Paul has. I remember looking at this sh- this shot chart, like one of those Kirk Goldsberries or, or something like that, like using the synergy player tracking. And Chris Paul is the best perimeter defender in the league. Well, he was, you know, two or three years ago when this data was collected. Because if you just look at if players are comfortable taking shots near him or if they can get shots off, like, out outside the paint, like, players just aren't doing it. Because Chris Paul just knows where to put his hands to deflect balls. And, you know, he can stay in front of anyone. Carl Lowry, less so. Like, you, you'll make some hustle plays and stuff, but you know, Chris Paul's in another stratosphere, right? So let's say Carl Lowry's worth $12 million a year, which still qualifies. Like, he can probably be, like, your fourth best player in a championship team, you know, which made, which goes to show the Raptors had great depth, you know, p- picking up Pascal Siakam, Danny Green... And, you know, Lowry and then having, you know, those guys I mentioned before on the bench, coming off the bench. I like that was a deep team, but if Kyle Lowry's worth 12 million a year and he's getting paid 33, so the way I look at it, that's a differential of about $20 million per year that you could be spending on another player. You know, you... If you you know you should extend OG Ananobi, or you trade for a Chris Paul, or you trade for another undervalued guy and extend him, right? Like that is so basically the way I see it, it's like what's the differential? Twenty million dollars a year. Take that away from the player's value. So in Larry's case, twelve million dollars. You're looking at like minus ten million dollars a year. So therefore, and then and then you've got to ask, okay, so. If I can get an impact player like a Jerry Foster or something to replace Lowry in with that roster spot, is it worth getting rid of Lowry for nothing in order to get Jerry Foster? And the answer in this case would be yes, because you know Jerry Foster is worth ten million dollars a year, and I think Cal Cal Lowry is worth negative ten million dollars a year because of that absurd contract. Right, so I'm making that trade any day of the week, and so therefore, you know, if you go to Oklahoma City and you trade Kyle Lowry for Chris Paul, Sam Presti might say yes. I mean, Chris Paul, his uh, his reputation is in tatters for no fucking reason. Like the dude's still an absolute bowler, um, and. I think people are concerned about like the $40 million a year for the next couple of years or three years. I think there's a player option or something. But Chris Paul, like, I think he looks after his body. I mean, he is, has had some injuries. But, you know, again, if you look at... Okay, so I think Chris Paul at this stage... And this, this is going to sound really Asperger's, right? Because it's like there's no sort of... This is by no means a quantitative means of me- judging a player. But, you know, last I checked, Chris Paul, I think, is worth at least $30 million a year. So paying him $40 million a year isn't too bad. So if you subtract, you know, that, that difference of $9 million from $31 million, he's still worth $22 million according to his contract, which qualifies him as a top 30 player in the league still. 
okay, and a guy that if you bring him on a team, even in the West, like probably still make the playoffs, which is a huge deal. Like you think about the money that is brought in if if you make the damn playoffs. So. Yeah, if Chris Paul's on the Raptors, they're getting to the second round at least. And then if you add in Scala Bissier, it could be finals, baby. So that, that's a little bit of a rundown of how I evaluate. Like, if I was evaluating a trade. So, yeah, I mean, if I can get, a, if I can trade you away, if, basically, if I'm looking to trade, if I think that I can get value of, if I, if I win the trade by $10 million in terms of, receiving value over what I give away, I'm probably going to do it. I mean, there's a few other factors into play, like obviously if you just sign a guy and then trade him away immediately, I'm not sure if it's even, one, I'm not sure if it's even allowed, and two, that is a bad look. Like, you're not going to be able to negotiate with players to bring them in if they think that they could just be traded, like, on the spot, like, before the season even starts, right? Maybe give it a year or two, you know? before you trade them away. It's cold, man, but I guess it's a business. Um, you know, I went, oh man, this is, this is a, probably a five, 10 minute story in itself, but in this pursuit of being an executive in basketball, I, oh, this is crazy. This is just crazy. So I went to Seattle and this is not allowed, but fuck it. What are they going to do? They're going to ex- export me back to Australia when I'm in Canada. But I went into the US and I did apply for like basketball internships at Washington University in Seattle. And yeah, no response, man. Like, what, what are they going to do? I'm not sh- like, apparently 10, apparently was it 10,000 or 1,000 applicants applied for one like basketball operations intern in Portland for the Trailblazers. Like, that is a lot of competition, man. So if I can just, if I think I can just waltz in and be in basketball operations for Washington University, it's pretty crazy. But, you know, it's always worth a shot. And I, so nothing happened in Seattle and I got bored of the place. Um, and so I bounced to, uh, I was visiting a friend and they had a breakup with their boyfriend and they were too bloody self-obsessed about that to realise that, Here's a friend who's crossed the whole ocean just to hang out with you and you can't lift yourself out of your damn misery. And look, I know what a breakup is like, but shit, get your act together. And like, you know, we went hiking in in the Washington State forest and it was like such a surreal experience in terms of the natural beauty and she was just a misery guts, man. Like I was a misery guts when I was depressed, but that's probably because I was still lonely as fuck, like, just in my, you know, apart from my, you know, beautiful family and stuff, because I was living at home, but, like, if I had a friend kept visiting from across the world, I'd be like, fuck yeah. Anyway, so I left this, this boring friend, she actually sent, here's what's funny, she sent me a Facebook message, just how you're going, and I think there's a little bit of joy in just giving people a silent treatment if they've, you know, fucked you over, you know, like, just, if they, if she messages me again, then I will respond, because, like, I see, like, you want it, you, you want to get back in my life, and that's, that's great, but if you just send one casual, how are you going, 
after treating me with like immense disrespect because you know I'd like try and call this person just to just to catch up with them see how they're going and they're like oh sorry I'm just having a bath and not not call me back or anything it's like well you can fucking drown <laughs> um <laughs> But, you know, they message me back and if they message again, then I'll, I'll, I'll respond. It's funny the games I play, man. But, you know, I don't like being fucked with, frankly. I don't like it. So anyway, ditching that person in Seattle and realizing there's not much hope. I thought, you know, LA might have brighter opportunities. And I checked out UCLA, I checked out USC... I applied for stuff online. Um, I thought, and I was like, all right, my last stop probably be Loyola Marymount University. I think Orlando Johnson had a few seasons in the NBA out of there. And they play Division One ball, so, you know, it's worth a shot. So I walk, walk, walk up in there, and it's more of a low-key campus. I end up talking to a former NBA coach. He he coached the Bobcats. Remember when the Charlotte Bobcats existed and they were the worst team ever <laughs> as far as winning percentage? I think they won nine games during the lockout season. I think he coached like around that period, um, and they gave they didn't have any opportunities for me. And but you know they at least they heard me out, right? And they gave me a few contacts which. <laughs> hasn't gone anywhere there's a lot of crazy folk in basketball I'm going to call you all out on this now <sighs> they gave me the number of this guy who I called and he said I should go to this seminar like this careers conference in Las Vegas so I did drop like 400 bucks on it and there was some like pretty the talent there as far as like the speakers, which was pretty decent, but like a careers conference is just cringy because you're looking around and you're just seeing everyone else as desperate as you are to get into the business. And it's like, people are just talking to network rather than just like having a good old chat. And it's just a bit cringe. And like, I would ask, I would ask Dean Oliver like a whole bunch of questions like the, hey man, should we start valuing offensive rebounding more, like go big while other teams go small? Like I would love to ask that question, but instead, like a whole like you have to get up in front of everyone, like there's a line at the mics and you have and then people would be asking, like, what would you recommend to get like become a general manager? And, you know, like pretty much every you know every interviewee receive this sort of question it's like bruh obviously just get as much experience as you can and get to know the most people that's it which is you know hard enough in itself but I guess getting experience ain't you fucking force yourself upon some basketball organisation and just learn things from the ground up which is all talk on my part because I'm not doing that I mean I probably will once I settle down somewhere in a city that I like um but anyway, god damn. And, god, the resistance of some people to fix air conditioning is just absurd. Like, well, I was freezing my dick off in this conference, and apparently they couldn't warm up the AC. 
Of course, it gets a bit difficult when you're like, hey, can you turn the AC up? Which some people could interpret as make it colder, right? But really, you want the temperature to go up. It's a complete... We've got to fix that lexicon of that, right? Let's just say... Oh, why didn't I just say, can we have the air conditioning warmer, please? Yeah, I should have said that. Damn it. But, you know, drop... like You've got like 100 people dropping $400 each here on this damn conference, and they're putting on like, yeah, it was an okay lunch. But, you know, they've got the work... They've got like three workers there. We organised the whole damn thing. And they can't even heat the room up in this big swanky Vegas hotel shit was whack and you know like it's just like it's kind of like this it's just a it's just a bit of a I don't know if it's a Ponzi scheme I don't know what the term is but it's like hey man if you if you want to catch a fly ball you gotta have tickets to the game and like, you know, I was promised by one of the staff there, like who runs like a $2,000 course on what was like co- basketball coaching or something. He's like, man, I'm the guy to know if you want to build contacts in, in basketball circles. Well, I literally squeezed that guy with, with as much contacts that he had and it's turned to nothing, right? So like there's a lot of fraudsters in the game, man. There's a lot of fraudsters. I mean, it's probably just worth a shot at least once. But, you know, if you're if you're thinking that you're dropping for... Like, it'd, it'd, it'd be nice to learn, like, all the scouting tools and stuff, like the video editing software and shit. But, frankly, I just want to learn on the job, like, starting from scratch somewhere. Or, you know, if... I've posted a lot of my sports analysis online. You know, you can check that shit out at skinnersportsanalysis.com. And if my predictions are true, like I think Miles Bridges was the best player out of the draft a couple of years ago, and you know you, you probably give players at least three years to show their worth. I think so. You know, if in, in the other, if in another couple of years times, time Miles Bridges has proven to be the best player, and Luka Doncic is just like a bit of a role player, rather than this like all-star caliber guy that everyone seems to think he is, um, maybe you know I could get a look in in the front office, or you know just as a scout somewhere. But again, it's pretty closed doors. Like, um, you know, followed up all these leads from Loyola Marymount with some potential scouts, and you know, pretty much a door just slammed right in my damn face. That's all right, man. When I'm on top of the world, none of this shit will matter, will it? Um, but anyway, this whole story is getting around to. The one thing that I that I learnt that I didn't know prior to this four hundred dollar conference, now I got actually got a free pair of sunglasses which I still have like you know, three months later. Not bad. It's always good to have a little pair of sunnies. <laughs> but Eric Pincus, Basketball Insiders, the dude has the best salary cap updates in, during free agency or you know probably all the time and like you know it's, I think when you look up let's say Portland Trailblazers team salaries like his his site where he's got all the he's got the salary cap table and stuff which is fun to look at if you're thinking about what teams should be doing and like in terms of trades and shit and like whether they can fit guys into the cap and stuff um, 
his was the most up to date was spot rack like that information was like five days old which in the free agency is like a big deal so Eric Pincus and those basketball insider boys like they should definitely get more credit and maybe if all my listeners jump on their site their the search results for them will pop up first because I suppose that's how Google gets its rankings in terms of search results right just like pure traffic I don't know. It'd be nice if they just could evaluate whether the information is good or not. Mm, I wonder how they do that. You know, there's a lot of crazy shit that I could learn, but it's always like, is it worth the effort? You know, does it fit into my goals? And my primary goal is to become like you know, either a, like just win basketball titles, whether it be a player, which is probably a long shot. Or an executive, which you know could happen. You know, I've got time on my side, and I'm only 24 years old. But my secondary goal in life, once that's done, you know, I'm happy with six titles, man. Michael Jordan had six. Like, I don't need to beat that. Definitely not getting 11. Not sticking around that long. Bill Russell was a freak. My primary goal after I win. Basically, I just want to be top of the basketball world and prove everyone that I know what the fuck I'm talking about. You know, be a boss, be a Hall of Famer, even if that's just like a ridiculous title. You know, um, I'm going to move on to setting up a moon base on the moon because how absurd would it be for all of human history and what and potentially well, no, life will probably still go on on Earth even if a meteorite the size and imp and velocity of the one that hit the dinosaurs and crushed their empire you know if, if imagine all of like imagine your, you know your parents struggling just to like keep you alive if they did you know or you know your great 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 grandparents struggling just to get by in life and like managing to you know root someone and procreate right imagine all this struggle throughout human history and we get wiped out because we just couldn't like fucking have some sort of insurance plan for a extraterrestrial cataclysm, man. How absurd was that? And like we were on the moon like fifty years ago. How are we not up there? Like, and this what's amazing is that marijuana can truly like change, like give give you thoughts that you wouldn't really have normally. I remember I was stoned in the Blue Mountains. Like, unfortunately, if you live in a small town and your dreams are not being realised in any capacity and you're stuck in this place, yeah, sure, you'll resort to weed and, frankly, drugs can be a great relief, man. You know, like, a lot of people will say, you know, if I didn't have heroin, I'd, I'd neck myself. So let's think about that, eh? How about we stop punishing these people who are just trying to medicate themselves? And people are medicating themselves on opioids and shit like that. Right? Let's have some respect. Let's understand where people are coming from. Let's stop just fear-mongering and just settle down and try and understand the issue. Right? Anyway, I was stoned and I looked up in the moon and I was like, bro, we need... It's, it's the most important thing... Like, fuck climate change, global warming. Like, we're probably going to be like China and realise that, shit, we're going to have to, like, we can't breathe. Or, you know, I don't really like being underwater. You know, we're going we're gonna to fi- fix 
global warming, like hundreds of millions of people are probably going to die from like extreme weather events, and that is fucked. And like I'm, I'm on board with trashing like the BPs and the, like all the, you know, all the corporations that literally taking a huge shit. Shit, 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 shit. This uh, broadcast has been interrupted because I was recording this podcast and it cut short at the 48 minute mark and then I spoke for about 20 minutes longer but I didn't realize that the I think Samsung just decided you know what I've had enough of this guy I'm not listening to him anymore so I mean you lost out on a whole bunch of other stuff I was talking about so I'll just briefly finish it because frankly I just want to move on and I'll make my key points but um, just to finish this story like yes I think global warming is a problem um, but I think something worse could be like a meteor striking Earth, and we need to learn from the dinosaurs, man. You know, they had this empire that was wiped out, and so we need to, you know, we look up at the stars, and we just think, you know, that's beckoning. We need to get out there. So let's get a moon base first, and that'll teach us a lot of things about space travel and um, colonization of extraterrestrial be- um, places, and then we can head on to Mars and beyond. So... Let's make it happen. So that's my second goal in life, you know. If I know that I realize my dreams, well, it's really about like what venture is going to make you rich? Like what do you think you can be best at and what do you think you would love the most, right? And I think being a basketball executive would be one or a basketball scout for sure, right? Um, It could be pretty high paying if I'm at the top of the game um, and it it would use all the all the knowledge that I've built up just from having this passion, you know. Um, so that's one goal I want to achieve. And the other one is just doing something for the human race and that's, you know, helping set up a moon base. But I guess one thing at a time, so that's why I'm focusing on sport at the moment. Um, but the roundabout story here, um, so, yeah, sorry, I, I'm not quite sure. I'll try and remember what I was talking about, but basically... At this sports conference, Eric Pincus of Basketball Insiders, he said that Paul George didn't want a piece of the Los Angeles Lakers in free agency because he shares the same agent as D'Angelo Russell, who was fucked around by the Lakers. You know, he was picked second overall and then traded with Timothy Moskov's bad contract for Brook Lopez, and Brook Lopez was just let go. So, moral of the story is that as a GM, you can't just trade players willy-nilly. You have to think about the ramifications and what what that might do to your reputation, right, um, around the league. Um, but yeah, just to summarise on this on this pod, um, uh, trade for Scal Labissier, you could probably trade him for peanuts. You know, the Kings trade him for freaking Caleb Swanigan, okay? Caleb Swanigan's not had a huge impact in the league, has he? And the Blazers didn't even play Labissier when they really could have used him in the playoff series. And frankly, if they start Labissier, which they, I mean, who else are they going to start? They lost Al Farouk Aminu, right, at the four. Um, I guess, you know, the league, maybe Terry Stotts might be scared of playing a seven-footer at the four, but because, you know, it's a small ball era. But, hey, Lebissier is a tough dude as well. I think he can be a solid offensive rebounder. Um, he's just an absolute mismatch you know, with his athleticism and his skills. He's, he's got left hooks and... He can dribble left and right. Um, he's got good feel in the post. I hope that, honestly, if the Blazers aren't playing him, then they, they might struggle to get anywhere in the playoffs, right? Or even make the playoffs, for goodness sake. 
even though I did like them picking up Hassan Whiteside, who was an undervalued... I mean, did the Heat give Whiteside away for next to nothing? I'm trying to remember, but... I mean, he was owed $23 million, which is a player option, which he picked up. But um, I think the Heat are missing the playoffs. But Jimmy Butler is one of the most overrated players in the league, and he's just got a fat contract. Um, I think he's he's one, he's just like kind of the, one of those entitled stars who's not doing a whole lot off the ball offensively, which, again, like should be a huge part of your game because, you know, there's five guys on the court you've got to share the ball with. You can't just be the go-to the ball-dominant guy, and I'm not sure he's skilled enough to even handle that sort of responsibility anyway. And defensively, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Um, maybe he's not as focused and not playing as hard as he could be, and, you know, Tom Thibodeau probably ran him into the ground a little bit. I mean, look at the drop-off drop of Luol Dang. I think Joakim Noah's still got some some left in the tank. Uh, but, yeah, Tom Thibodeau, I mean, yeah, that dude... I mean, that dude ran Derrick Rose into the ground. You remember he was... Derrick Rose was out there when they were up, like, 30 points in the first game of the um, playoffs in, I don't know, earlier this decade against the Sixers. But Thibodeau still had his MVP out there, and that's when D-Rose tore his ACL, right? So Thibodeau, you need to be worried about guys like that, just sort of... And especially when you've got... I mean, I would li- I'd love to talk to Tom Thibodeau and talk about it, talk to him about the, the logic behind those sort of moves. Because, yeah, sure, you want your best players out there, but you've got to think about the long term. Um, you've got to think about the longevity of the players. Like, you know, Greg Popovich, he if, he, he, if he's bringing a play, if he's dressing a player, he usually plays them. And that depth means that the Spurs have just been pretty consistently good for a long time. And even their stars didn't have, like, 45-minute games um, or, or they very rarely did, right? So, yeah, Thibs. And, like, hearing Thibs shouting from the sideline, yelling out calls, it's like, bro, come on, let him play. Shit. Um, but, you know, I guess I can't beat down the guy too much. He doesn't even have a job anymore, so maybe the rest of the league has realised the same things. Um, but, yeah... I would have traded for Hassan Whiteside, and you know I probably could. You probably could again. I mean, the Blazers might think that they're set at center with Pau Gasol and Yusuf Nurkic. I think Whiteside beats both of those guys handily um, in terms of value. Um, but yeah, it's just because I'm in Toronto, I'm thinking about what Toronto should do. Trade for Chris. Trade Kyle Lowry for Chris Paul. Trade. Uh, trade. Um, trade. Chris Boucher and there's maybe a second round pick for Skull BCA. And pick up a guy, an uh, undervalued guy like Jerry Foster or even Mello. I would probably pick up Foster though because, you know, if you're putting the effort into signing him and training him and stuff and giving him experience, he's he's got his whole career ahead of him and he has almost similar value to Mello anyway, right? So you probably prefer to pick up Foster. Um yeah, sorry, the flow of this podcast was screwed up because of the, um, the me rambling on that being interrupted by um, the cancelled recording. But um, maybe, hopefully, if I listen back to this and if you guys listen to this, it makes some sense. And you know, a lot of the stuff that I talk about in this podcast, I'll probably repeat later on in, in this podcast series um, because you know I could sit there and tweet stuff and or, or write stuff, but honestly... 
just talking about it is so much easier and I've got time on my hands at the moment and well I've all, I'll always have time on my hands you know like the audio quality of me walking to the YMCA just the other day um, and me just rambling about how the Titans are you know screwing things up it sounded pretty good and it sounded authentic too like you hear siren like um car horns in the background and stuff that was quite good um but yeah Pick up undervalued guys. That's it. That's all you have to do. And that's what Moneyball is about. They did it with data and you know, computers. I think bas- like the relationship between a ball going in a basket and like the surrounding stats is a bit more difficult to quantify than um, you know, like the relationship between a pitcher and a batter, right? And you know, runs and things like that, you could argue. But I suppose maybe you could boil down, like if you just talk talk about traits of a basketball player, what makes them good, such as you know, offensive rebounding ability, defensive rebounding ability, um, uh, finishing ability at the rim, um, three-point shooting, or shooting from uh, different parts of the court, or ability to create separation, passing ability. I think what I would love to do is be employed by someone to sit down and Think about what stats can best uh, identify those that, um, who is good at those certain aspects of the game, right? But um, I'll finish this pod because it's gone on for ages. But um, that's probably something I'll talk about further later on. See you guys.